Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. Thankful to get to see all of y'all, and I am also thankful for anyone who's watching online for you uh, joining us. I wanted to remind you that on December 11th, this coming Sunday, we've got luncheon, but in the evening around 5 p.m., I would love, love, love for you to join us for us to go do some caroling, and uh, this is the first time we've done this here, so don't know exactly how it's going to look, but I can guarantee you it will be better if you come. And you're like, well, I don't know. I'm not much of a singer. Caroling is like 90% smiling and being sweet to people and 10% singing, okay? So I promise you, unless, unless you can't smile, then don't come. No, I'm just kidding. But, but we hope you'll come to the Christmas caroling. And uh, that's next Sunday. I'm probably going to like get on my phone on Monday and Tuesday and be texting like all of you and just saying like, if you haven't already, I'll say, like, give me a yes or a no, just so that I can have an idea. And after we finish, uh, Melissa's planning on having, like, a hot chocolate bar in the, uh, in the kitchen, you know, so you can get some hot chocolate afterwards. I think it's going to maybe be cold enough to be worth hot chocolate. So um, I question I have for you to start this morning is how many of you are people that have already purchased most of your Christmas presents and how many of you are people that haven't purchased almost any of your Christmas presents? Somebody, somebody like start nodding if you're a, uh, oh, I've bought most all of them already. Let me see. Okay, now somebody start nodding if you're like, I haven't bought almost any of them. Okay, so uh, one thing about presents that are always, it's fun to me is I'm going to, there's like a beautiful way to talk about presents. I'm going to talk in a tiny bit more like cynical way for two seconds, okay? And cynical is maybe not the right word. Maybe more of a uh, uh, rational kind of way to talk about it. Part of what presents are, and I, I think about this a lot, is with a present, you are trying to communicate something. And oftentimes, for some people who are really good at giving gifts, they put so much thought into how they're trying to communicate it. But for a lot of us, like I would say for most of my growing up, part of the goal was because I care about you, I've got to make sure I get you something better. And if I don't care about you as much, I'm not going to get you as good of a present. That's kind of how my brain would work. There's a great way to say uh, Michael Scott in the show The Office. He says, presents are the best way to show someone how much you care. It's like this tangible thing that you can point to and say, hey, man, I love you this many dollars worth. The idea joking, you know, kind of being like, there's certain people I spent a hundred bucks on, there's certain people I spent, this is my best analogy for this. Um, how many of you, when you were in school, had to take Valentine's cards and candy to your school class at some point? Okay. So we would go to the store, and you'd pick out the cards you wanted, right? Of course, I'd pick some kind of superhero cards, or some kind of sports cards, right? And... Uh, and the thing I remember is I, we had certain candies that you'd get your collection of candies, and some were better candies than the others. And what I would always do is I would always make sure that the one or two girls in class that I thought were cuter got the better card and the better candy. Now, did I write something in the card like, you're the best, I love you? No, no, no. But, of course, I was like, oh, no, no, Mom. Uh, no, give that candy to her. And give that, because I wanted to make sure I was saying something of, you know, of the one that was more special, that needed the better candy and the better card. Now, of course, they probably were like, Spider-Man, cool, thanks, you know? They didn't probably think anything special of it, but I was like, yeah, you got Spider-Man, you know, so. Um, but 
The gift we give, and this is something I'm going to make a connection that I, I want to carry with me. So you, I, I normally wouldn't put a slide here, but I'm putting it here because you've got to get this point. In my opinion, let me now switch over from less of a rational view of talking about presence to more of a deeper view. The gifts that we give, they point to something deeper. They point to something more. Even just that tangible gift. Like, for example, when I gave my granddad a mug that says, like, I love you, granddad, there's something to the fact that that mug costs probably a dollar to make, probably costs a dollar to put the, the logo on it. But to my granddad, who has used that coffee mug for 50 years, it means something more. Does that make sense? Right? There's something tangible to it that you can put a price on, but there's also a pricelessness to it. The gift points to something deeper. It points to something, and, and in many ways, me giving that gift is, I'm kind of, what I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to lift up that person and say, you are more special to me. You are someone that I view as more special. All right, I'm going to take another illustration, all right? Um, I've, I've thought of a few. Another example of this is sometimes for people picking who's going to be the bridesmaids or groomsmen in their wedding. You don't have to have bridesmaids or groomsmen, but part of why some people enjoy it is there's a way of getting to look at your friends who you're closer to and saying, I want to point to the fact that you are, I want to lift you up as an even closer friend to me than other people. Does that make sense? Uh, Catherine had a friend at A&M who had 20 bridesmaids. And I remember I told her, I said, how do you feel not being in the top 20? You know, I said, uh, I was like, this is a tangible way for you to know. But if you only have three bridesmaids, you're like, okay, I get it. I didn't make the top three, but top 20, you can start counting. Like, okay, I guess. But it's a way of lifting up the, the choosing of that friend. It shows something more. I'm, I want to lift you up as someone that I'm, I'm closer to, more special to me. So now I'm going to take the, tr the illustration in a little bit more of a somber direction. But I've had the honor in the past 15 days of doing two funeral eulogies for people that we love, people from this church. And one of the things that I think about all the time is how, whether you realize it or not, when you decide to take off work or you decide and decide to get put on some clothes and show up at church or this building or wherever it is, and you tr choose to buy flowers, you choose to make a casserole, you choose to, what you're doing is you are pointing to something more. Your attendance means this much, but what you're doing and demonstrating your care for that family means more. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this slide to keep the connection. Your attendance points to that you want to lift up this person as not just, well, that's just another person, but I want to, I, I don't have any way anymore. I feel so limited in how I can show you just how much Tom meant to me. I feel so limited in how I can show Georgie how much she meant to me. And what I do have is I can attend what I can attend. I can buy food for how I can buy food. You, you know what I mean? Like you just have this deep desire to come and show how much they meant to you. And with your limited resources of how you can do that, writing a card, making a donation, buying a tree, it feels so limited, but what it's doing is it's pointing to something more of we want to lift up to you just how much this person meant to me. And when the families and friends, they see that, that outpouring of love, it says something to them. So a word we use in church a lot, we throw it around, it's a very churchy word. It's right up there with righteousness and atonement and evangelize. All words that we say frequently in this setting, but no one ever uses outside of here. Another churchy word that we use is the word glorify. I think if I asked you to say, can you define glorify? Um, you'd, you'd think like, oh, well, um, 
it might take you a moment. Well, glorify, it means to praise, to worship, to lift up, to give honor, to, to lift something up. And so the question I have for you is, we lift up our loved ones by buying them presents at Christmas. We lift them up by saying, here's something I want you to have to show you that you're special to me. We lift up our loved ones when they pass by showing up with our attendance. We want to do those things to lift them up. So the question I have for you, how do we, how can we do something with our lives that will glorify, that will praise, that will lift up and honor God the way we lift up our friends and family and all these things. And Paul, in my opinion, in Romans 15, has a really awesome answer. So if you want to turn in your Bible to Romans 15, not Revelation 14, Romans 15, we're going to be reading. And uh, you're going to notice we picked last week, we started a sermon and we stopped. And now we're starting this one because of a chapter break. And this chapter break was really unhelpful. For those of you, I, I think most of you know, for those of you who don't know, when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't write in, you know, chapter one, chapter two. That's all stuff that came way later. And this is a pretty unfortunate chapter break because it really breaks up this important thing that Paul has been saying. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to remind you of what we were saying from last week as we head into this chapter. So we're continuing this message. And last week we see this thing that's really important to Paul that's going on. You have these Jewish Christians and you have these non-Jewish Christians that we call Gentile Christians. And they are not doing a very good job of getting along with each other, of being a church family together. And one of the biggest things that's happening is, is that each of them has things that they see as important or not important, essential or not essential, that they're letting divide them from being unified together. And Paul is adamant. I really, really want you to be unified and not let these things break you apart. So I've got, I'm going to read some verses from chapter 14 to catch us up. And these are from the message translation that I think just, they're such great parts. He says, If you confuse others by making a big issue over what they eat or don't eat, you're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? Back then the issue was kosher food. And you may be sitting here thinking, well... That seems like a, a non-essential thing. That's pretty obvious. To them, it was not obvious. To them, it was, I've spent my whole life that this is the bedrock of what makes me God's people is that I choose not to eat this food. Daniel, the reason Daniel decides I'm not going to eat that is because that is not who I am. So, so here, you may think it's, oh, that's not a big deal. It's a huge deal. But he's saying, um, uh, if we make a big is issue over what, they eat or don't eat. You're no longer a companion with them in love, are you? These, remember, are persons for whom Christ died. Would you risk sending them to hell over an item in their diet? Don't you dare let a piece of God-blessed food become an occasion of soul poisoning. And then he says, God's kingdom isn't a matter of what you put in your stomach, for goodness sake. It's what God does with your life as he sets it right, puts it together, and completes it with joy. So let's all agree to use all our energy in getting along with each other, helping others with encouraging words. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go ahead and read Romans 15. Romans 15, starting in verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He's quoting from this Psalm 69. And this Psalm is a Psalm about the suffering of Israel and specifically God's anointed one facing suffering. And so Paul is going back to this Psalm and he's saying, listen, even Jesus was someone who 
emptied himself and faced all these kinds of things so that it faced this suffering and was willing to empty himself. I'm going I'm to come back to this. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they may provide, they provide we might have hope. I love this line. I want you to really think about it for a second. This is not the main point of the sermon, but it's really great. In verse 4 he says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures. Now, this is something you've got to remember. When it says scriptures here, what is it talking about? It's not talking about the New Testament. The New Testament was not written yet. The New Testament was not a thing. This is talking about the Old Testament. And so, for any of you who are like, well, Paul says the Old Testament's kind of irrelevant now. You know, it doesn't really matter anymore. That is not how Paul feels. Paul is using this as an example. He's quoting from Psalms and he's saying, isn't this cool that everything that was written in the Old Testament was written to teach us? As Steve Clifton likes to say, it was not written to us, but it was written for us. So that the endurance taught in scriptures, the, thing, the way you see these people of God sticking to this covenant, persevering through all this, that it would be an encouragement to us that we might have hope. Verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Okay, uh, the big point I want to talk about for this sermon is in here, but I'm going to save it a little bit. But I, I do want to point out something that I think is really important that we have seen from these first two slides, something that's a, a crucial thing. Paul is trying to get these, these what he calls strong Christians and weak Christians, people that have that are not getting all caught up in all the essentials. They're the strong one, or on the non-essentials. Those are the strong. And the people who are making everything an essential issue, those are the weak in this chapter of Romans. And what he's saying, how are you two going to be unified? And he says, your example for how you're going to do this is Jesus Christ himself. Christ, the strongest of us, he made himself weak so that we could be united with him. And Paul you know, it sounds an awful lot like something else Paul wrote in Philippians 2. Christ being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of us. And because of that, if we have a relationship with him, we will be lifted up with God in place of the highest place. This language from Philippians 2, Paul is using there also and here to try and say, how are all of these people going to be able to get along? How are these people that grew up Jewish and these people that grew up Gentile? How are these people that grew up rich and these people that grew up poor? These people that grew up slaves and slave owners? How are they going to be united? And the answer is, if you look at our example Christ, Christ had every reason to go, listen, I'm the strongest in faith of all of you. You are the weakest in faith. But I am going to choose to come down to you, to your level, and enter into that weakness so that we can be one, that we can be united. And that's the model for us, the model of... And, and, and it shows and reemphasizes this, this idea for Paul that Paul cares less about you having all the right answers and you doing everything exactly right, and he cares far more about unity. And you might ask, well, at what cost, Paul? At what cost is unity? And his answer is Christ. His answer is, at all costs, for you to be united. 
So let's continue reading in verse 8. Paul is going to do this thing now where he's, he's so excited about this idea of Jews and Gentiles being united that he's going to list all these Old Testament passages and he's going to say, look, look at these passages from the past and if we can figure out how to be united, then we're going to fulfill all of these Old Testament prophecies of Jews and Gentiles being one in God. So verse 8, it says, For I tell you, wait, yep, I decided to start this slide again at 7 because it kind of connects into to verse 8 also. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews, came a servant, on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. A lot of our letter to Romans, a lot of it, has had parts where Paul has said, well, if God did this and that, is he not fulfilling his promises to Israel? And all along, Paul's been like, oh no, he's fulfilling them. And even here, he's saying, no, Christ, he did what he did to fulfill what God had promised, this covenant to the Jews. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. And now here's where he's getting into all these verses. As it is written in 2 Samuel and in Psalms, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praise of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. That's from Deuteronomy. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. That's from Psalms. And again, Isaiah says, Oh, i got to go to the next one. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse, the Messiah, will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the main point, the big point. In this series, all along you've noticed, I've had this opening slide, if you've seen it. It says, Romans for the glory of God. And now that will finally pay off. I've, this is the 24th sermon in this series, and I have yet to say anything about for the glory of God. And here it is. Get to, get to bring it all. You know, it'll, it'll finally have a payoff. At the heart of Romans, from the very beginning, Paul has talked about how all people, Jews and non-Jews, everyone, has fallen short of giving God glory, of failing to worship Him. I know not everyone listening was in our class over there, but think about Remember whenever the angel says in Revelation, proclaiming the eternal gospel, fear God and glorify Him? Okay? In Romans 1, 21, the number one thing, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, the, number, the summary of what it looks like to have fallen short, to have not lived how we should, is this. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks. And so here, Paul is offering, and we have this amazing line. I'm going to read it again for you. There's multiple times in this chapter where Paul says, like in verse uh, 9, uh, and moreover, the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. In verse 4, the, the one that... Uh, or no, in verse uh, 6, the one that I like the most. So that with one mind and one voice, we may glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so here Paul is offering us and all of his followers this example of Christ, of how we can glorify God, how we can exalt Him. Do you remember I asked you the question at the beginning of the sermon, when we buy presents at Christmas, it's because we want to lift up those people that are our loved ones and friends. When we attend a funeral, it's because we want to lift them up. We want to do something that says, you mean more to me. And the question I asked you is, how do we do that to God? How do we, how, what's one way we glorify Him? And you could have come up with a lot of answers. We glorify Him in many ways. The thing that Paul says most glorifies God is by being united as one people group, lifting up one mind and one voice to God. I know that may sound like so small, like, wait, that's the number one way, being unified? But I believe that by not judging each other, by, by making every effort to live in peace, by emptying of ourselves of our desires for the sake of unity, when we do this, we glorify God. And when we don't do this, Paul would say we've missed the point. For me with the funeral, for me the thing that I think is so important is, and this is what I say every time I prepare for one, I'll ask people questions and they'll say like, I'm sure you're going to do a great job. And I'll say, no, I'm not really researching this and asking you questions because I care about doing a good job. It's because this person deserves to be lifted up. This person deserves to be honored. I, I'll go a step further. This person deserves for the Christ that lived in them and the way they modeled Christ in this world to be talked about, to be recognized, to be remembered. And that same pressure, I feel, is something that, in my opinion, I feel towards God. That we, are, as people, our very design as human beings are to be people that glorify God with our lives, offering our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing. And to Paul... You can't be doing that if you're choosing to let something else separate you from someone that is a fellow brother and sister in Christ. Okay? If I choose to let something come between me and Colton that isn't Jesus, then what I've done is I've made that more important than Jesus. But if he and I have Jesus and we're unified in that, what Paul would say is, you are fulfilling what God had in store all along. Look at all these passages. All along, God had interest of all peoples, Jews and Gentiles, with one voice worshiping and praising God. And it's not going to be one voice because we all do a perfect job of conforming to the exact same thing. That's something that's very important to me. The unity is not through conformity. The beautiful unity is through diversity. Or have you forgotten Romans where he says, we are all one body with many parts. But when that one body, all of us together, choose to be united with one voice and one mind, we worship Him in that unity. And then we have this great part, this amazing part, where He ends with this prayer about hope. And it feels kind of out of nowhere. Like when I was studying, I was like, okay, Paul, you just got done talking about glorifying God and all these things and the unity between these two. And now all of a sudden you keep repeating the word hope. You keep bringing it up. Human beings, we place our hope in what will bring us the greatest happiness in the future. To say it another way, the supreme object of our hope is also the object of our praise and worship. Let me say that again. The object of our hope is the object of our praise and our worship. You show me what you praise and you worship, I'll show you where your hope is. And so for Paul, he's saying, he prays that the believers will be filled with hope because those who put their hope in God find him to be the delight and the joy of their hearts. And so do you want, like me, do we want to be people that I feel like some people would say this is where Paul is bringing home his greatest point. I know Romans 8 is the most beautiful part, but this is where he's accomplishing what he's really intending with this letter. He's saying, listen, you two, I want you so bad to be unified because when you're not, you're missing out on glorifying God. And our whole purpose is to glorify God. 
But when you choose to be united, when you choose to show the world we're not letting anything separate us because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord, you will truly be lifting him up more than you could in any other way. So I want to encourage you. I want you to make God the delight of your heart. I want you to not let anything, non-disputable matters, disputable, I don't want you to let anything to become something that breaks up that unity because when we have that unify, that unity, we glorify God. If any of you would like to know more about what it means to be unified together in this body, if any of you would like to know more about following Jesus and making him a part of your life, um, we're going to have some elders standing at the doors if you have any prayers. And we'd just love to talk to you if we can while we stand and sing this song.